Hey everybody, it's uh, producer Andy here, and just wanted to go ahead and give a preface of this episode. We talk extensively about James Bond and Sean Connery, and the problematic legacy of the character during the Connery era. Um, We mention it kind of late in the episode, but this was recorded about a week before Sean Connery passed away, and... We just wanted to make it absolutely clear that while we're not above trash-talking a recently dead man, um, that was not the intention for this episode. So, of course, our condolences to the Connery family for the passing of really one of the greatest action icons of the 60s and 70s. And with that, enjoy the episode. internet friends and welcome back to love hate relationship an opinionated podcast for opinionated people i'm andy bowell and i'm alex ruiz and as always we are here to brighten your day anger your soul and tell you how to live your lives in that order and andy um well actually this i think this is more for our listeners y'all we're recording this in in october uh, we've decided to take off the month of October off for all of you. Uh, the last episode you heard was recorded before we decided to take the month of October off. Um, so we don't know who's president right now. Oh, yeah. Oh, did you not think about that? I did not think about that at all. Oh, I couldn't stop thinking about that. Like this, <laughs> this episode drops like mid-November, and y'all, we're we're talking to you from the past. We are ignorant of everything that's going on. I kind of feel like when the pandemic started, and we were just like happy-go-lucky, whatever, right. whatever's going on with the world, and then all of a sudden, it's like y'all hear the episode like two weeks after a whole bunch of shit went down, and we're just like, this very Which much funny, could be the same thing. Yeah, no, because we're talking about banking episodes. We might, like, it's entirely possible the next episode, we still won't know what's going on because we're looking to, like, try and get ahead a little bit. Because we're not a current events podcast, Andy. Like, <laughs> far, if far, we were, far from it. Yeah, like, your other podcast, y'all, y'all are, like, what, two months ahead on shit? <laughs> two months ahead, and that's still with, like... A pretty significant amount of like slowing down the pace of that show's recording in and of itself. We used to be like four months ahead, but I digress. Mm. <laughs> the worst thing, and I haven't even told you about this, I'm I'm actually toying around with the idea of starting a third podcast and this one this one would not be a recurring thing this would be a set number of episodes but uh our our dear friend and dear listener uh andy other andy not andy you're listening to andy uh expressed some interest to me in doing a band of brothers podcast (laughs) which i'm fucking intrigued by if nothing else you know, I'm not mad about it, but like, hmm. The saving I've... grace would be it would be a capped off, like, at most it could be two, three seasons one for Band of Brothers, one for the Pacific, and one for Masters of Air, if that ever actually gets friggin' released. Uh, probably not coming anytime soon, to be honest, because that is definitely a project I would not add on to my plate without. Hmm. 
careful consideration. Coming soon to own on video and DVD. Sure. Yeah. No. I. I. I you know. I. I feel comfortable talking about this. I had an idea for like a, a my own like just me podcast where I did like these short episodes talking about like certain songs, and I still think it's a cool idea. But the biggest problem I've had has been in conceptualizing it. I. I really, really would want it to use actual like clips from the songs, mm-hmm. and apparently that is fresh hell. As far as like licensing is concerned, or like fair use should be fair use. It should be like, oh, I can use up to ten seconds of this, and it's it's an educational show, so it should be covered. But like, that's not how anything actually works. No. <laughs> yeah. So that project, I, I haven't like I wrote some scripts for it. I haven't completely written it off, but like. I don't know. If I wanted to do stuff with it, I mean, I'd probably need to record the music parts myself, which, you know, actually could be kind of cool just as like a lesson in me trying to learn how to record myself playing things. But also, I don't play that many instruments very well. (laughs) Like, I play guitar. Oh, I play guitar pretty well. I play bass decently well. And I play like... Four other instruments badly. And I don't sing. I want to sing. I can't sing. I started playing guitar because I wanted to sing and couldn't sing. I've I've heard you sing karaoke. And... I would happily come and sing the vocals for you. <laughs> I love you. The uh, nicest thing you can say about my karaoke is I know all of the words without having to look at the screen. That is true. You can like that is very true. I know I know the lyrics to so many songs all the way through perfectly. <laughs> and I'd probably ask you to sing the vocals. Fair. Fair enough. Yeah. No. I just Sometimes I think about like like okay, Mariah sings. Um, you know, your 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 wife sings. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I picture like the two of you are like two characters in a musical just like singing at each other all of the time because I think that this is what people who sing do because like my wife <laughs> sings, she sings great. Mm-hmm. And sometimes she'll be singing songs to herself and I'll try to sing back and I'm just like I sound like a goblin. But, like, you two actually sing. So are you just, like, traipsing around the kitchen with one another, just singing merry, happy songs about your feelings and shit? I mean, that's certainly happened. It's not really the default. I will say one of my favorite things to do on a road trip is, you know, sing some punky alt-rock song with her. And, like, we, we do this a lot with Coheed because... One of the best things about Coheed is there's often two or three like different vocal lines going on at the same exact time. And so we've worked out like, okay, in in 10 speed of God's blood and burial, uh, you sing this part, I sing this part. And we never actually had a conversation about it. It's just like naturally the parts we decided to start singing and and it's become the way that that goes. And, And that is a phenomenal amount of joy to just duet with your partner sure i i I just think of like old videos of the mamas and the papas playing (laughs) and it's just like 
There's there's just the one member who's just got the guitar and he sings, but he's rarely like singing lead because mm-hmm. the other three are all like singing all their other parts. And I'm just like, that's that's I feel like that's just me. That's just I'm the I'm the one with the guitar. Like, <laughs> but you're all so, the company, all of y'all. You're so good with that guitar, and we would not not be able to do it without you. I'm this, really not this hypothetical really thing. Not. I'm really, yeah. You know, they say that there's, um, I, I forget what it is. Maybe it's the Dunning Kruger effect. Um, maybe I'm wrong. the The thing where, like, you know, just enough about, like, there is um, unconscious incompetence, conscious incompetence, uh, unconscious co- competence, and then conscious competence, where like you learn enough about a thing to know just how much you suck at it for a while. (laughs) And then like, eventually you get to be like better at it, but you still don't necessarily like the middle part is, you know how much you suck. And then it's, you don't suck anymore, but you don't yet know that you don't suck anymore. Mm -hmm. And then eventually when you hit mastery, you don't suck and you know, you don't suck. But you also start off by being like, I don't know how much I suck. I don't know enough about this to know how much I suck. (laughs) uh ignorance is bliss look i've been playing guitar for like 16 years now or maybe it'll be 16 years next year i'm only just now kind of understanding stuff (laughs) like kind of so i don't know like you know i've toyed with the idea of actually paying for lessons sometime in like Maybe that's what I'll do the next time I get, like, a raise or something. I'll just be like, okay, I'm going to get some guitar. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't spend money on things like, I don't know, Andy. I feel guilty spending money on myself as you the immigrant sh- kid thing. Oh, well, I don't support that. That is, uh, you, you are worth it and deserve the thing. And you've shown me the expensive guitar you, uh, you know, deservedly purchased for yourself and then we had a conversation which was something along the lines of like i have way too many instruments and i feel like i'm going to acquire more that's true also in fairness i bought that expensive guitar after selling an expensive guitar so Eh, that's a good point Eh, yeah it's all (laughs) in the wash but like i just need tell you what i'm gonna ask you this um clip out that video clip of you just being like you you deserve nice things or whatever you just said and like i i see i it fell out of my brain i forgot it you said it a moment ago and i already forgot it oh, because no. i can't hold things like that in my brain i want you to clip that out and then just like send it to me so it can be my new ringtone or my new like text notification is just andy's voice being like you deserve things i will absolutely do that that is a mantra you deserve to have <laughs> Oh god, that's that's the sweet affirmation that we need uh in the post-election world that you all are living in that we currently are not living in, but we will be soon because it's October 9th. It's less than a month away. <laughs> you know, I was I was about to say you know what else uh is coming out in November in time for um this release date. I was going to say no time to die, but then that got pushed back because COVID. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so God. 
amongst amongst everything else, um, cor- the the coronavirus has completely ruined what would have been a phenomenal um, transition. Uh well, you know, uh. that's on the list of things it's ruined. It's that's that's on like page sixteen. <laughs> But all that said, um, welcome to Love-Hate Relationship, and welcome to one of our special and coveted triple love specials. Normally, uh, one of us takes something we love, something we hate, and something that is one of your relationship questions, and then give our perfectly unqualified advice. However... This being a triple love special, we are going to focus exclusively on one topic. That topic being a uh, character who is near and dear to both of our hearts. Yes, Andy, this episode, we are talking about our mutual love of, uh, well, James Bond. Hell yeah. <laughs> All right. Where should we get started with this? Because our notes are a little all over the place. Uh, folks, we kind of jumbled this one together. If you haven't, if you can't tell, um, we took October off because we were so behind. <laughs> yes. And I have all the faith in us. I, I think we've fallen into a trap before of being like, everybody knows who this character and property is. La, 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 la. So maybe the we. best thing we, me, I, you know, semantic. Um, <laughs> maybe the best thing to do would be to remind the viewers or uh, if, in, in case somebody isn't familiar which if you're young enough is actually kind of possible um, mm. who James Bond, the character is. Sure. So um, I put a little bit of notation on that. The uh, long and short of it created by journalist slash novelist Ian Fleming in 1953, James Bond is a secret agent with the fictional British intelligence service. MI six Fleming based the character on an amalgamation of people he met during his own intelligence service during World War II. Uh, And he wrote a total of 12 novels and two short story collections for the character. And since then, a number of other authors uh, have have continued the series, uh, literarily speaking. Uh, There's there's a couple, I think there's a recent comic book series that's based on the novelization. And it's Um, really good. All right. I have not read it, but here we go. Um, more famously, and what I think you and I are going to spend the bulk of this time talking about, because Andy, I, you've read the comic. I haven't really read much James Bond. Like, I think I've read one of the novels. Um, I haven't read any of the short story collections, but, um, we're not really talk going to be talking about the literary character too terribly much. I think what we're going to be focusing on is the 26 movies Featuring seven different actors, uh, which is some shit that I believe you and I both grew up on. Mm-hmm. So, um, made. L- l- let's get this out of the way because I think it'll form the bulk of a lot of what we talk about. Most James Bond stories tend to have a. Would, would you do you think it'd be fair to call them a little formulaic? Absolutely. Okay. Um, so. You tell me if there's anything I'm missing here, but most Bond stories, uh, typical features, are the character, James Bond, 
going through huge international ordeals where he intercedes against criminal organizations or terrorists or even the occasional mad scientist. And somewhere along the way, he will inevitably have some shootouts uh, using his signature Walter PPK, uh, some car chases, some gadget usage, uh, gadgets designed by Q, um, who I'm going to spend some time talking about because I maintain he is the best ancillary character in the entire series. Um, <laughs> there will also be drinking, some womanizing, some really, really terrible puns about, like, who he just killed or who he just screwed or some damage he just did. And everyone has a good time. Real quick, because this is a legit question that maybe you would know the answer to and I don't. Did... Ian Fleming create the super spy genre. I can't, um, I can't think of an earlier, like definitive version of that trope. So he did not create the genre per se. He definitely had an interest in writing kind of spy novels. There's, um, here's the thing. The early, I can think of at least one earlier spy story, but it wasn't, it's not what you would think it is. Because the earlier spy story that I can think of is one of the last Sherlock Holmes stories. Hmm. Because Conan Doyle, at the very, like towards the end of his life, when he was writing the last few Sherlock Holmes stories, there's one or two stories where Sherlock Holmes acts as a spy for the British during World War One, So Conan Doyle wrote a bunch of detective stories with Sherlock Holmes, but a couple of those last few stories were spy stories. And Conan Doyle didn't invent the detective genre. That was Edgar Allan Poe. But so, so all this to say, Fleming didn't create the spy genre but much in the same way that like john carpenter didn't create slasher movies with halloween what he did with halloween was so iconic and later copied by so many others mm -hmm. that i think it kind of became the blueprint for the genre conan doyle didn't invent the spy novel but you can maybe say he perfected it you can definitely say that there are a ton of spy movies and books and stories that I think have taken all their cues from James Bond. Right. And and I I never thought to tie the detective genre into the spy genre, but that makes a lot of sense. I can see the narrative parallel there. And maybe this uh makes the point I was leading to a little moot, but like I think of Fleming and James Bond and the super spy as a progenit a pro how would i say this progenit progenitive progenitor okay sure i i see uh ian fleming and james bond as a the progenitor progenitor ankylosaur for um just an, an entire genre because like in, in my mind like the spy the super spy isn't a thing until James Bond comes along and, and it just spirals off into, you know, so many different versions where you've got like Ethan Hunt in the mission impossible movies. You've got Jack Ryan. Uh, you've got Archer, like, like spy craft is a thing 
and even if they're not all British, uh, you know, Jason Bourne, like all of these things, I think you can tie back to Bond and especially talking about like movies, the Mission Impossible movies, the Bourne movies, those do the same exact narrative tropey things for the most part that mm-hmm. uh, we just described as being core to the Bond films. Sure. You know, you and I recently um, watched, uh, I I, I had sent you a video from a couple of Australian podcasters. Uh, So the the series uh, is called The Weekly Planet. Um, That's the podcast series. They have a segment on it called Caravan of Garbage, where they talk about an old movie, an old comic book, an old video game. Uh, The YouTube channel is Mr. Sunday Movies. Great, great YouTube channel. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll try and link them in the show notes. Uh, but they were talking about Mission Impossible in that. And um, the, clip that, the thing that I sent you was like this 20-minute dissection of the first Mission Impossible movie, which I don't know how many of y'all remember the first Mission Impossible movie, but it's like a James Bond movie on fucking steroids. Yeah. Like... The the espionage stuff, the um, you know, the famous dangling from like the famous dangling from a rope thing. Um, you could imagine that in a later day James Bond movie. But I'm also think sitting here thinking, like, okay, Connery was the first James Bond committed to film, right? Yes. Well and well t- technically there was somebody else. Um I feel like I should know this. The original Bond movie is actually a uh black and white version of Casino Royale and Oh, oh. I, I think I, I think this was actually I was reading the Wikipedia page. I think I saw this. Um keep talking. Yeah, I mean I I know I believe Fleming actually wrote the T V movie script for that. And it came out in 1967, which is before Dr. No came out. So bar trivia for everybody. um, The first James Bond is Peter Sellers. That doesn't sound right. (laughs) It's not the guy from the Pink Panther. CBS play. Oh, there was a television version. Oh, okay. A television version uh, was done by CBS of Casino Royale. It was a one-hour TV movie, and Bond was played by Barry Nelson. However, he was an American. Like, in that movie adaptation, they made him an American named Jimmy Bond. Oh, no, okay, this is fascinating. I didn't know what that was. I'm talking about a completely different Casino Royale. Yeah, well, there's been a few Casino Royales, but the first Casino Royale was adapted into a TV movie called Card Sense, um, had uh, an American James Bond named Jimmy Bond, played by Barry Nelson, uh, put out by CBS in 1954. Okay, well then, there, yeah, there's your bar trivia night uh, answer right there. The original James Bond is Barry Nelson. But he's Jimmy Bond, not James Bond. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. With So arguably, uh, all of this to just completely backtrack and say arguably, uh, yes, Sean Connery is the first... James Bond put to film. Sure. So uh, that was Dr. No in 62. Mm-hmm. You've seen Dr. No, right? I have seen Dr. No several times. It is not my favorite Connery movie. That's from Russia with Love. But it might be my second favorite Connery. 
Okay. I mean, that's solid. I, I'm I'm sitting here thinking like, okay, those... I do love Dr. No. Like, I have a soft spot. I think my favorite Connery might be Thunderball, but I don't say that with confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, but, okay, so let's, let's, let's sit here and think. You've got Connery Bond, and I think specifically about Dr. No. And for those of you who haven't seen Dr. No, that, like, that is... That is one of those James Bond movies where, Bo- yes, Bond is doing the spy thing, but he's spending he spends more of that movie like sitting at card tables, like trying to ex- trying to trick people with- and get information than he does like doing weird, tricky ass spy stuff. He has a couple of shootouts. He kills a few people, but like he never really like. I'm comparing him in my brain to, like, the Brosnan Bond, which is, like, the height of the super spy version of James Bond to me. Because Daniel Craig kind of takes it down from there in a lot of ways. So if I'm if I'm making a Mission Impossible comparison, I'm thinking, like, Brosnan Bond, who will dress in, like, the full black and do some weird shit where he will dangle from ropes in order to extract computer information kind of stuff. He'll be more Ethan Hunty. That is a fascinating comparable and I'm here for it. And I love it. Cause I think you're totally right. Even factoring in like the more modern mission impossible movies, like the, the style and the caliber of adventures absolutely is more in the Brosnan area. And that makes sense because the Brosnan Bond movies and the first couple Mission Impossibles were, you know, going on at the same time. And then I would say Daniel Craig is the the Jason Bourne influenced gritty James Bond because it, it very much, you know, it was supposed to be the more realistic reboot sort of style. But just in terms of like how the character portrays himself, it's so much more of the, the Jason Bourne, like serious, actual spy. And then. So trying to complete this, I, I would say Timothy Dalton is the Jack Ryan, the one who like now, now Timothy Dalton's bond is a, a lot more of a uh, vicious, aggressive character than Jack Ryan really ever was. But it, it seemed like in the nineties, it was so much or uh, the eighties rather, it was so much more about like, okay, no country, country interests and, personal vendettas and i'm i'm the character who knows something's going on and no one believes me um Mm. and and connery is a character unto his own i mean archer is very much based off of the connery bond and pokes fun at that lays around and drink a martini and seduce a woman and then shoot somebody kind of trope Um, Mm -hmm. but that is of course like intentional parody from Archer's part. Yeah. I I'm, so I'm looking at a timeline of the bond films and I'm, and I'm actually trying to, I'm trying to count up. I don't know who has done the most. 
Um, Connery was Bond for six years, and in that time he did six movies. Uh, I think... Or, sorry, five five years, and he did six movies. I th- Wait, was he in the Casino Royale 67 movie, or was that when they, like, split off and did some weird shit? Well, that's when it split off. So the, the sixth Connery... Peter Sellers, yeah. The sixth Connery... Um, Bond movie is Never Say Never Again, which is the MGM remake of Thunderball, which I actually fucking adore, but it technically exists outside of the main James Bond continuity, if there is such a thing. Gotcha. Yeah, okay, because Peter Sellers is in Casino Royale, but Connery's in You Only Live Twice. Mm -hmm. Honor Majesty's Secret Service, uh, that is Lazenby, um, which, you know... Eh. The only Bond Least favorite Bond. Oh, okay. I disagree. I, the only Bond brave enough to wear a kilt. I'll go ahead and point that out. <laughs> um, oh, oh, but actually, now that I think of it, like Connery came back for Diamonds Are Forever. Yes. This is the nerd shit so- section, y'all. Uh, if you want to skip ahead like a couple of minutes, if you don't want to hear us work out this fucking timeline, Roger Moore's first one is Live and Let Die. And he in, uh, he inhabited the character for twelve years and made seven Bond movies. So uh, that is the most out of any actor. Roger Moore played James Bond more than anyone else has to this point. That uh, was my mother's favorite Bond. And hey, mom. And, and no, shut the fuck up, Andy. No disrespect, Mrs. Ruiz. I listen. I love a view to a kill. Like that is my favorite um, more Bond without a doubt, and that is oh, all I'll say. The man with the golden gun, the man with the golden gun, Christopher Lee as your villain. Like Christopher Lee as Scaramanga is absolutely fantastic. Man with the golden gun is number two. I I don't know what it is. Um, a View to a Kill is the most eighties Bond movie maybe ever, and I appreciate that. Meeting you with a view. Uh, I will say this, A View to a Kill, uh, and this is me getting ahead of myself because we were going to rapid fire this a little bit, but A View to a Kill has probably my favorite uh, James Bond opening song because the Duran Duran A View to a Kill song is like absolutely stunning. Oh, absolutely. And it's so 80s and I love it so much. Um, okay, but, alright, so we go from, we, we've got Roger Moore, he does Live and Let Die, Man with the Golden Gun, Spy Who Loved Me, Moonraker, For Your Eyes Only, which is maybe my least favorite of his, uh, Octopussy, here's Never Say Never Again, which, yes, is the Connery coming back that was, and remaking. Yeah, that was the weird contract dispute, I, I used to remember this better, but like, MGM was pissed off and, and Connery wanted to do one last one and, and had gotten sidelined. And so it was basically like this, uh, this tactical slap in the face against Albert Broccoli and Eon productions. But then they just go ahead and remake Thunderball. But I would argue just through coming out 20 years later, I actually like never say never again, more than Thunderball. Interesting. I do not have like fond memories of Never Say Never Again, but I don't know that I ever paid a lot of attention to it. I think I watched it during one of those like 
Christmas James Bond movie marathons that always seem to happen. There are parts of it that are absolutely stupid. There's like this this E plot where Rowan Atkinson is like MI6's man in the Caribbean and he's totally like very slightly Mr. Beaning it up and being comic relief, but he's only in like three scenes. Like it's not perfect by any means, but I enjoy it. All right. After that, you get Dalton for living daylights and license to kill. Uh, next to Lazenby, he has the fewest appearances. Uh, Brosnan does Goldeneye, which is a great movie. I would say that's a that's definitely like a top five Bond movie, maybe even a top three Bond movie. Goldeneye holds the fuck up. I I rewatched yeah. it like two or three months ago, and it was the first time uh, my wife had seen it. And especially the first ten minutes of Goldeneye are just some of the best James Bond ever put to film. Yeah. Um, Tomorrow Never Dies, World Is Not Enough, which I don't think those two movies get enough love. I really don't. I would agree. Yeah. Die Another Day, which is stupid, but I love it. Like, I love Die Another Day. It's very dumb, but I enjoy it. That's the one with the car that has cameras and monitors on the other side so that it camouflages. It's It's maybe the stupidest Bond gadget of all time. Um, what else? Okay, and then we got Daniel Craig, who does the Casino Royale reboot, Quantum of Solace, Skyfall, Spectre, and No Time to Die. And with Daniel Craig, it's a formal reboot. Like, they kind of assumed some kind of loose continuity throughout the movies, from uh, Connery to Brosnan, I think. Or do they kind of wait until, or is that just through License to Kill? Well, they always, like, play it so coy and so, like non-committally the idea of is james bond a code name or is james bond just one person who acts like a comic book character with a a revolving timeline lifespan um the the thing that gets really confusing is in her majesty's secret service james bond's freshly minted wife is killed by ernst Raphael blofeld And then in one of the Roger Moore movies, I don't remember which, he visits that character's grave. I think that's for, I want to say that that is for your eyes only. Don't quote me on that. Might be live and let die. But yes, and he, and yes, he absolutely visits Teresa Bond's grave. And it's like established there. He also kills Blofeld in in one of them. So there's, there's this thing with there, but then like, like I think there's like an, an offhanded reference in one of the Daltons by Pierce Brosnan. It's it's basically a new character, um, but you're right with Daniel Craig and Casino Royale. It was a hey in bright bold letters we are rebooting the Bond franchise and we're keeping Judy Dench because we're not idiots, but just <laughs> assume that it is a complete reboot. And and I feel like this is the most uh, appropriate place to talk about this. Alex, what is your opinion on the 007 code name, James Bond theory? Uh, that the name James Bond comes with the 007 tag? Yes, and that every actor is a completely separate secret agent who adopts the code name James Bond along with 007, and that they are different people. Okay, I've heard this theory. Uh, I 
I have felt that because of the continuity you get from the Teresa Bond scene with Roger Moore, you, I think that is the biggest hole in that theory. Now, you could conceivably theorize that Roger Moore, James Bond, is like avenging Lazenby's James Bond and like maybe they knew each other before he took it over. There is a moment in, um, I believe it is, I want to say it's The World Is Not Enough. I might be wrong. Where Bond is about to get killed and he says, okay, if you kill me, 008 is going to take my place. Um, So it is conceivable that it's a different 00 who just takes on, like, there's a way to make it work. Well, yeah, and there's also... But you have to jump some hoops. Yes, and and there's also the fact that in GoldenEye, um, Sean Bean's Alec Trevin character is 006. Um, yeah. It, 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 yeah, there there are things that make it impossible on either side. You know, there's... And the reboot clearly does not do it. Well, and, and so here's, here's the thing, and here's my take on it. I adore the codename theory. It is one of my favorite things about the canon. I completely accept it. And I just kind of, you know, hand wave around the Lazenby Moore connection that makes that uh, somewhat impossible. Um, Daniel Craig being a reboot, Casino Royale being a reboot, like Eon and, and the Bond films tried to, 100% quash this by showing us James Bond's childhood home in Skyfall. Up in Isle of Skye, Scotland, there is the Bond Manor, and, and we are sitting here, and, and they double down on this inspector being like, no, he is 100% James Bond. He is James Bond. He is not somebody using a code name. Here's his house. Here's his kindly old groundskeeper who helps him like kill people with a shotgun. This is what we're doing. Oh, by the way, Stra- uh, Blofeld's his adopted brother now, which I'll get into that fucking nonsense later. But, like, they try to definitively say, no, this is James Bond. But it's the reboot. So there's nothing that means I can't have this accepted head headcanon that, yes, Daniel Craig is the original James Bond. And presumably the movie after No Time to Die, which is Craig's like, I'm serious. I'm done with this bullshit. It doesn't matter how many dump trucks of money you back up into my house. I'm done with the character finale to Bond. There's nothing. 15 years later. Right. 15 years. And and he wanted to stop doing this three money, three movies ago. Um, Mm -hmm. There's nothing telling me that like, the, in, in the next movie, we can't have a new James Bond and it like that is the start of the code name and it's my story. I'm going to stick to it. I am 100 percent here for Lashana Lynch 007, which it looks like they're trying to make happen. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I will make it clear. I will absolutely watch like another five Lashana Lynch, James Bond movies. I don't care how they justify it. Like give me black woman, James Bond. 
you denied me Idris Elba James Bond. You can give me this. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's that's my thing on it, and I I love the code name idea, and I, Skyfall is maybe a top three Bond movie for me. So I I have to sit here and accept that like the climax of that movie makes it clear that this person was born James Bond, but I'm just going to do whatever I need to do to make the codename theory work in my head moving forward. (laughs) Now, what do you think about, okay, there's, there is a, I want to say it's a theory on the internet, but it also, I, I feel like it's kind of just obvious from the script that the original conceit for that, old groundskeeper was that he was going to be played by Sean Connery. Oh, I didn't and that know they, that. And that, and that when they couldn't get Sean Connery, they clearly rewrote that part of the script to write out everything that was supposed to be implied by it being Sean Connery. I, no one has formally gone on record about this, but people who know scripts, like I haven't read the script, but I've I've read everything about this and it is kind of very clear that they were building towards something in this vein and then had to shift gears when they couldn't get Connery to come back. I can't tell if I would have gotten a boner or cried. Probably both. <laughs> uh, because that's perfect that is absolutely perfect because like judy dench at that point m had become james james bond's mother figure and they like they built it up in brosnan they reinforced it so much more with craig and god what a movie to come out of retirement for and do like three scenes and hold a shotgun and just, it would have blown my fucking mind for James Bond to be fighting off bad guys with this like thematic, his thematic parental figures. Holy shit. I, I, I'm sad. I know this now because it does, it, it will never happen. <laughs> I love that no, so no, much. It it's like it's like how when they did um, the War Doctor episode of Doctor Who, that was supposed to be Eccleston. Right. And when Eccleston refused to come back, they were like, okay, let's just create another Doctor and have it be John Hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't hate Leave Extraordinary Gentlemen. I think it is a much better movie than anyone gives it credit for. Um, it completely butchers the source material, but I was never upset that it was the movie that made Sean Connery quit acting until this <laughs> moment. That was naughty. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of clearly what they were going for, but uh, they had to reorient. Oh, goodness me. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Have I saddened you? I mean, it's more just like I was I was in Plato's cave and you you turned you un 
you unshackled my chains, turned me around and showed me the sunlight and it, it was beautiful and it made tears well up from the brightness. And then you turned me right back around. It was like, okay, there was the thing. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Sorry. It's all good. Um, we, we got a lot of things to get into. Um, do we want to just address the, more negative aspects of the character and the mythology before we break into some specific, like answering questions, you and I thing. Sure. Um, Andy, you, your other podcasts, y'all regularly, y'all have a whole segment that is just your, here's all the ways this movie is problematic. <laughs> right. So, um, social justice, one, two, three. Woo-woo. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, we say we, we we always like to point out whenever we do have a love of some kind. We've done this. We did this with David Bowie. We did this with X Men. Uh, whenever we have these triple loves, ways that these things are problematic. And holy shit, is James Bond problematic? Especially sixties Bond. I mean, yeah. the The farther back you go, the more problematic. Like. It's and here's the thing: the source material was problematic. Like, there's like okay, I I decided to do a little bit of just like Wikipedia reading on the actual literary character, and it is like everything you get with the movie Bonds, but like worse. It's colder. It's more violent. It's rapier. It's more racist. It is more misogynistic. It is infinitely more homophobic. Mm-hmm. Like, it is rough. But um, I think if we're going to start anywhere, we need to talk about the inherent sexism of the character of James Bond. Because that is the most prevalent and problematic aspect, I think. Yeah. So, um, I think very specifically about... Um, I feel like their attempt to address this what happened with uh, Brosnan Bond when he meets M, and M is a woman. It's played M is played by Judy Dench. Uh, for those of you who aren't like up on James Bond ancillary characters, M is like the head of MI6, James Bond's like director. Mm-hmm. And it's always been played by men. And then with the Brosnan Bond, they brought in Judy Dench because she's fucking Judy Dench. Um, and there's a great. There's, like, multiple scenes up front where different people are like, oh, I heard the new M is a woman. Like, what do you think of that, James? And the scene, the first scene with Brosnan Bond and Judy Dench's M, she is very clearly like, I know exactly who you are. I know that you are a pig, a misogynist. A, she calls him a relic of the Cold War. Yep. <laughs> which is amazing. Like, I love that moment. And, like, they try and clearly play it as a, all right, James Bond ultimately will respect this person, but he definitely has his history. Um, And I feel like that was them, like, trying to pay at least lip service to the issue. But that doesn't change the fact that you have an entire Connery movie where he's in Japan and there's a whole spa scene where he's talking to his Japanese contact and he's being washed by these women in this spa and they make the joke of where they're like, then they parody it. And Austin powers are like in Japan, men come first, women come second. 
Like, yep. <laughs> yeah, that's just it's it's not great. There's there's that. There's the fact that there isn't a health spa Connery Bond walked into and didn't like wind up betting his nurse or primary care physician. Um they they kind of they still mess around with this uh, with Brosnan for um, die another day because there's the bit where he uh, he meets his fencing instructor who I think is Madonna is Madonna is absolutely Madonna and they made it absolutely clear that like they would bang while he was much younger and learning sword fighting from her <laughs> yeah it's. Yeah, it's it's throughout the entire and like part of the point of Bond, part of the old school appeal of Bond was supposed to be that he was like, quote unquote, great with women. And if looking at those movies from a writing perspective, there's not a lot of it is in the charisma of the actor doing it. Right. Like up front, a lot of it is in is in that part because just on the page, just reading it. There's not a lot that would make the character appealing, at least as far as what's on the script. Other than people saying that he's handsome or good looking, and then he like spanks an ass and then, you know, bangs his masseuse. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the charisma of the actor, it's the mystique of the character, and it's a healthy dash of like toxically masculine, manly men, this is what we do thing that you know you have in the 60s and 70s i'm reminded of a john wayne movie um i think it's the quiet man where there is a scene in which john wayne drags his romantic love interest by her hair through like the little irish village in like a totally abusive you're being way too uppity kind of way and somehow this makes her fall in love with him yeah, this was just a thing that is completely unacceptably cringy and awful about the past, and I have no follow-up comment. <laughs> no, I mean that's absolutely okay. I'm thinking I'm I'm remembering something else from the Brosnan era. There's a point where like there's a v- there's a woman who he sleeps with who like I think this is in the world is not enough who like betrays him. And she makes some comment about how, like, oh, I'm not going to, like, betray my organization because I've fallen in love with you just because you've slept with me. And that is, like, a direct reference to I think you only live twice, where that's basically what happens. Like, the woman who is, like, about to kill him because they had sex and she's decided she's in love with him, like... Drop, like dives in front of a bullet for him. Yeah. And it's clearly a reference to that. And it's like the Brosnan movies had just as much of the like, it had a lot of terrible scenes with women because it straight up had like, the Brosnan movies had the one scene where Denise Richards is like an environmental scientist for some reason. Christmas and her name is Jones. Christmas. And, like, at the end, they're screwing, and then Brosnan looks her, like, dead in the eye and goes, I thought Christmas only came once a year. Like, Brosnan is as cringy as any of the other Bonds, but, like, in the world around him, there's people, there's at least some lip service paid 
to how like grossly misogynistic all of this is sure or has been yeah and um god so many so many things to to bring up like they still managed to even do that with the daniel craig movies um i remember in quantum of solace uh specifically there's uh, special agent strawberry fields who is like super no nonsense and totally doesn't want to put up with bond shit. And then also like it takes all of an afternoon for her to sleep with him and then like get murdered because she slept with him. Um, and then also my, my favorite, um, my favorite schlocky cringy, um, punny Brosnan romantic moment actually comes from die another day again, where like it's at the end of the movie, him and Halle Berry did the thing. They got the diamonds and there are these shots of like their villa in the Caribbean or wherever. And you just see, uh, you, you hear Halle Berry saying stuff of like, Oh, don't take it out. That fits so perfectly. And Brosnan's like, no, I, I have to. And she's like, no, please just leave it in. And then it cuts to a shot where he's placed a diamond in her belly button. And that's what they're talking about instead of his, you know, uh, amazing penis. penis. <laughs> his magical penis, yep. which like... That's the movie. Isn't that the movie that starts with him being tortured in like North Korea for that is ex- eight months or something? That is exactly that movie. Yes. The and are these movies stupid? These movies are incredibly stupid, but they're so <laughs> fun. They're so damn fun. Like that's the thing, and I feel like every Bond to one extent or another, except maybe Dalton, because he didn't have enough time for this to be the case. They start out like usually really fantastic and with a more like serious action hero lean. And then inevitably every single one winds up getting stupid in one way or another. No. Yeah. Um, It is kind of weird to think of like Goldeneye bond gets to die another day bond and you can actually like track how that happens. Yeah, Golden and Goldeneye Bond. He's still uh, he's still totally making puns with uh, the Russian love interest in there. Um, Xenia Anatop. Not even well, yes, Xenia Anatop, but also um, what's her face, the actual Bond girl. Um, oh goodness, it doesn't speak well that she's so forgettable. Na- Natalia. Natalia something. Natalia, yeah. that's right. My least favorite Goldeneye character. Uh, but yes, um, Xenia Anatop in the moment where she tries to kill him with her thighs and then he throws her off, pulls a gun and says, no more foreplay. <laughs> <laughs> this after Money Penny hands him a file with her about her and just goes, I know you'll stay on a top of things. <laughs> About the only, like, saving grace is the fact that throughout the series, no matter what, Moneypenny is wholly immune to Bond's charms. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think all of that is just, like, 
the the entire problematic nature of James Bond the character can be summed up by watch the first like two seasons of Archer because it is just nothing but them making fun of every last trope and problematic thing and like weird Ethiopian maternal relationship between Bond and M. Yes, and I feel like we would be remiss if we did not take a second to point out like the James Bond movie where he fights um, Middle Eastern terrorists or the James Bond movie where isn't there voodoo in a movie? I feel like there's that's live and let die. Yeah. Yeah, that's okay. James Bond as a as a representation of British colonialism. Uh, Let's see if I can do this in 60 seconds. (laughs) Fleming created the character to exist as a, like, stronghold of British masculinity in the post-World War II era, especially as British colonies were dissipating and as they were letting them go free. And he became this model of, like, what a true great British man is. There's a line in the books about how he doesn't drink tea because he feels like it is what made Britain soft and made them, like, give up the empire. And that's why he prefers to drink strong coffee. And in the movies, that has been perpetuated and gone outward. And in the early movies, it's just hella racist. It's There's straight up yellow face in a Sean Connery Bond movie, for God's sake. And they just, it's kind of racially problematic. And a lot of it is wrapped up in the same kind of bullshitty, we love the monarchy. We are on Her Majesty's Secret Service. We are doing this for queen and country. And it's a whole lot of evil, misogynistic, bullshitty stuff where he's murdering innocent people because he has a license to kill internationally. And it is problematic. Ah, oh, damn. Did it in like a minute 10. <laughs> I think it counts for you. It's all good. Uh, you, you you brought up a, a very interesting thing with, with James Bond as the, um, like the, the literary flagpole of British colonialism. And I'm remembering how the very first, you know, formal James Bond appearance, Dr. No, um, he gets a Jamaican sidekick who then dies <laughs> But, like, is happy to die in the service of helping his friend James Bond. I love how in these these uh, these triple loves, we're we're still able to totally unbiasedly fairly acknowledge the absolutely uh, shitty parts of something. It's the only way I can sleep at night. Andy, that's fair. Um, So so with that, um, I would like to move into just a little bit of. Like, like James Bond is such an overarching thing. And, and we've talked, we, we've hinted and talked a lot about our favorite, this, our favorite, that I'd like to go through a couple of different things and just talk about what our favorite bond aspects are. Okay. So with that said, um, let's not do least favorite bonds because that will create some upsetment who who is your favorite james bond that has been a very difficult question for me to answer over the years because i think it shifted over the years um you know i watched james bond movies with my dad and my sister and my mom like it was actually a legit family thing we watched my dad's favorite was connery my mom's favorite was more um if i have to pick like just in terms of 
the Bond that I chose to watch the greatest number of times, it is probably Brosnan. Got a limp on his right leg, named Sukovsky. Valentin Dmitrovich Sukovsky? Yeah. You know him? I gave him the limp. And Brosnan was my Bond. Sure. Like, when I was coming up, those were the new... Like, I watched Die Another Day in theaters. Like, I played Goldeneye. I played the World Is Not Enough video game. Like, I really think Brosnan is, like my era like people have their doctor people have their batman brosnan is my bond and i think that i'm still going to continue in that vein he is he is probably my favorite and that's really solid and yeah i feel like it's going to depend so much about like what bond did you start with? What bond did you watch the most in your formulative years? I don't know if there's really a wrong answer for anybody. It's just a preferential thing. Um, I love Pierce Brosnan. I love all the ancillary bond stuff he did. Like I love him in the Thomas crown affair. He's kind of built this later career playing a bunch of like spy characters in these crummy movies, but it's totally riding off the, I was James Bond. Hey, just pretend that I'm James Bond and I've turned evil kind of thing. And I'm, I'm absolutely here for that. I, I think this one has shifted a lot for me too. And it's kind of like asking me, what's my favorite Robin Williams movie. Um, Mm -hmm. You might get three different answers in a month. You could say Mrs. Doubtfire so that you haven't Pierce Brosnan. That's true. That's true. And that was part of the reason, like, I I adored uh, Mrs. Doubtfire so much as a kid. Um, We've talked so much at length about how Connery, the Connery Bond is problematic. The Connery Bond is also iconic. I think I gotta say Daniel Craig. You needn't worry. Second is... Yes. Considerably. I love the Daniel Craig Bond movies. I have strong opinions about every single one of his films that have come out in ways that, like, I don't have such strong opinions about every other Bond's canon as a whole. Like, they're the good ones, the bad ones, and the ones I don't care about. I care deeply about every single Daniel Craig movie, whether it's because I think it's brilliant or because I think it is a god-awful abomination to the franchise. So, I gotta say Daniel Craig and, and point out the fact that, like, Daniel Craig, everybody said, was so much more in line with the original James Bond character from the books, even more than Connery, certainly more than Brosnan. Um, and, and I appreciate that aspect of him. So I'm going to go ahead and just say Daniel Craig. Okay. Okay. I'm here for it. Uh, let me ask you this. Um, and this one was, Oh wait, no, it is on my list. Who's your favorite Bond villain. My favorite Bond villain has got to be Alec Trevelyan. For England, James. No, no, 006, mm-hmm. Sean fucking Bean, like it, it, Dr. No created the mad scientist trope and like 
Blofeld and Spectre created the like evil shadow government nemesis thing. But I've always had time for the secret agent gone bad. I love Raul Silva from Skyfall. I love, I, I, I can't remember the name, but one of the Daltons also has like a, an evil double cross and, and Alec Trevelyan was the first time I ever saw like a character where it's, you were my best friend and now you're my nemesis. And I love that. I've always loved that. Plus it's Sean Bean. Come on. Sure. That was my favorite character to play as in the golden eye video game. Yeah. Believe it or not. <laughs> um, I love it. I, I think I've already said this one, but for me, it is Christopher Lee's Scaramanga from The Man with the Golden Gun. To us, Mr. Bond, we are the best. Sure. Like, who is this? Like, he's an assassin, and he's so fucking cool because the whole point of it is that he's such a good shot that he has this stupid customized gun that only shoots one bullet at a time because that's all that he needs. And, like, he challenges James Bond to a duel where Bond has his PPK, which has six bullets, and he has his one golden gun, and he's just like, I'm still going to win this duel, James Bond. And (laughs) he's so, like, he's cool. He's, most of the movie, like, the first, he doesn't appear in the first two-thirds of the movie. He's being hunted. He's being like sought, but it's just people talking about him. And he's just such a, it's, he's only in one movie, like spoiler alert, James Bond wins at the end. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, at the, at the end of it, like he also, like they also weave in kind of a story with like the, he's also kind of a terrorist a little bit, but it's ancillary to the point that he just wants to kill James Bond to show that he is the best assassin. He's like the best assassin needs to defeat the best cop, like mm-hmm. or the best spy. Like it's and, and it's Christopher Lee, and Christopher Lee just brings such gravitas and he's menacing, but he also has kind of a weird, like almost uncle-like charm to him. Like he doesn't have bond charm. He has like, oh, this is my uncle who will like who gives me the best Christmas presents, but also will totally, like, if he finds out that a neighborhood kid is bullying me, will absolutely, like, string the kid up, like, in a tree by his shoelaces and kill his dog in front of him kind of vibe. (laughs) Like, I feel like that's the most accurate representation of that character. Uh, At least his type of charm. And I am here all day for that. I love it. And that's such a, a personal, uh, personalized answer. I, I think it's absolutely great, man. I want to say like, I, I, I would so dearly love to say Le Chief, but that's entirely because it's Mads Mikkelsen and Casino Royale. Um, I get it. Auric Goldfinger is probably the most famous Bond villain, even more than Blofeld. Um, no, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die is one of the greatest like movie quotes ever. I think. Yeah. Um, I'm with you. Bond villains are always so much fun. We did favorite bond. We've done, have we done favorite movie? Well, I, we haven't, but before we do that, I, so I mentioned this and I want the opportunity to talk about it, but I want your answer first. What's your, who's your favorite recurring bond 
um, ancillary character. Yes, and and thank you because I deeply wanted to talk about this. I think my answer might be obvious. Do you mean character in in the mythology or like portrayal of the character? And, and what I mean is there are three different Qs. There are three different M's. I'm going to say character. Like it's it's obviously probably going like there's more than one Felix Leiter, for instance. Like oh, there's right. but but Felix Leiter appears in multiple movies. There's multiple money pennies. There's okay. I'm talking about the recurring characters, the ones you see in maybe not every Bond movie, but a lot of the Bond movies. Okay, that's that's very fair. And that's a, such an important distinction. I think my answer still has to be M. Specifically Judy Dench's M, or are there other M's that really stick out to you? Well, yeah, it's more like like Judy Dench's M raises the caliber. Like 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 Ray Fiennes' M is fine. Um the M who existed in the Connery and Moore days, like I I couldn't even tell you who that actor is. I don't care about the character that much. But the like the the stern boss works so perfectly and it never works better than when it was Judy Dench. Judy Dench's M is my second favorite character period. I think more than any villain, more than any other side character like that, that character, that portrayal and that relationship is so integral to the later, like the modern bond to me. So I'm going to say M Okay, I'm I am here for that. Um, I want to say this was in Doctor No. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, my favorite non-Judy Dench M scene. Uh, I think yes, this was in this was in Doctor No. Was when you first see M and M is like Bond. I need you to give me your shitty little Beretta that you love pl- that you love so much and carry a Walther PPK like an actual agent <laughs> because your gun is and he's like but I've carried my Beretta for 10 years and he's like it has no real stopping power it jammed on your last mission and you were out of commission for 6 months carry the good gun and he's like, fine, fine, I'll take the gun and I'll take the holster. And he's leaving to go on his mission. He's also been briefed on his mission. And M just straight up before he leaves is just like, Bond, hmm? leave the Beretta. <laughs> he's just like, he didn't notice that he had pocketed the, he noticed that he had pocketed the gun because he was clearly not going to use the Walther and he just set it down. And it was the most clear, like, that's such a beautiful script moment. The, all right, I know you, you idiot. And you're just going to carry the gun you like. So I'm going to at least make it hard for you and, like, force you to put it on my fucking desk, <laughs> you jackass. Like, it's a beautiful moment, and I love it. It is. It is. I think one of my favorite, like, tropes that you find in every Bond movie is Bond being Bond being that ancient dinosaur who's set in his ways. And, like, they, they do it with Connery. They do it with Brosnan. They do it with Craig, where it's like, you really shouldn't be doing this anymore. You're way the hell too old for this. And he inevitably, like, (laughs) goes rogue for 20 minutes before it turns out he was right all along and is welcome back to MI6. Yeah, I love it. I, my answer, and I already said this, is Q. Mm -hmm. 100%. Like, I 
fucking love. And for those of you who don't know, even if you've never seen a James Bond movie, you have seen this character, either parodied or in other movies, but it's the gadget guy. Right. Q is the gadget guy. And for so many years, Q was portrayed by, and I want to get this actor's name, uh, Desmond Llewellyn, yes. So Desmond Llewellyn plays Q in like 17 of the movies. Like he's not in Dr. No. That's a different actor right. who um, gives Bond the gun. Um, but he's in the next 17 movies. And then he has a beautiful moment in The World Is Not Enough where he introduces the new Q, who is played by John Cleese mm-hmm. for literally like two movies. Yep. But like, and, and he has this like touching moment where he's just like, I'm retiring. And he like, he goes, what have I always told you, James? Always have an escape plan. And he, like, goes down uh, out of a trap door, like a like a slowly sinking trap door. And it's just like, he handed it off, and it's so lovely. But he's the cantankerous, like, old man who's just like, Bond, for the love of God, I'm going to give you this incredible gadget that is the height of technology. Please don't destroy it. And he's like, I'll try not to destroy it. And then he totally destroys it like an hour later. Totally destroys it. Totally plays with it. I think my favorite um, Q moment period is in Goldeneye. And Q's handing him all this crap and and showing him, like... um, you know, the pen and the watch and the car and uh, Bond picks up like this sub sandwich and is like, what is this? And Q just goes, don't touch that. That's my lunch. That's my lunch. Exactly. It's <laughs> delightful. <laughs> so, Oh my God. I love him so much. So speaking of Q, speaking of gadgets, do you have a favorite like gadget? Or, or even, like, type of gadget, because I think it's hard to pick just one thing. I th- honest, Okay, I honestly think my favorite, because I, th- I always just thought it was the coolest idea. And, it's, and among the Bond gadgets, it's very low-key. But I believe that it is in Tomorrow Never Dies. He has a grenade pen. He has a pen that is a grenade, and to, and to, to activate it, you have to click it three times in quick succession. To deactivate it, you click it three times as well. Um, in that movie, at one point, he loses the pen, and it's picked up by, like, the villain so, computer henchman yeah, guy. Yeah, so it's Boris in Goldeneye. It's Alan Cumming. Oh, it's... that Was that Goldeneye? Yep. All right. So it's Alan Cumming, and he's just playing with the pen, and he's just, like, fiddling with it. And I learned to spin pens watching that movie. Dude! Like, I still spin a pen. Same! <laughs> And there's this great moment where he's just, like, clicking it, and he doesn't know it's a grenade. And he's had this thing clear. I think at that point in the movie, he'd had this thing for days, and he was playing with it like that. So it's a miracle he didn't already blow himself up. But, like, Bond is watching him, and he activates it, and he's just, like, he he uses the opportunity from the grenade pen to, like, do some cool spy shit. But I loved the idea of just a grenade pen. There's something so just, like... 
that feels like an actual spy device, like a real thing that would exist, like a pen that explodes when you click it three times real fast. Right, and I gotta tell you, my answer is the exact same thing. I have endless appreciation for an exploding pen. Um, the one from GoldenEye is, without a doubt, the most like iconic and famous with the, the triple-clicking thing. There's also a, a, a pen rocket launcher in Never Say Never Again, and there's this great moment where... Uh, um, Connery is getting his ass handed to him by the female femme fatale bad guy. She pulls a gun on him from across the room after disarming him. And like, he's fiddling with his pen. She's gloating. And he just like shoots a rocket straight into her out of the pen and then does whatever quote he does. I don't remember the quote, but I remember he instantly like walks out of the room, grabs a bike and just casually bikes away. And it's delightful. <laughs> so exploding pens hell yeah yeah there was also there's also another movie where he had like a bomb in his heel and he could take off his heel and set it like there's a lot of explodey things um you need explosions yeah no you just you, you just need that also there's like the cool laser watch that was always an awesome one the, la- always loved the that. laser watch the car i mean where does he get those wonderful toys it's Q, and he gets and Q is very irate when he doesn't return them properly. That's fair. It's a good point. <laughs> I already said this. My favorite opening like Bond song is "View to a Kill," uh, the Duran Duran one. Yeah. Do you have a favorite one of those? Uh, honestly, I think just from a like, this is a song I would watch anyway or listen to anyway. Um, I love Skyfall. that's the Adele song yeah Adele's Skyfall is fantastic and I also have so much appreciation for Madonna's Die Another Day that's actually a legit great song like I defend that song it's so good the song is arguably better than the movie Oh, I adore it. So here's here's how I'd like to wrap this up. Um, we're coming up on the time. I don't. I can't pick a favorite Bond movie. That is going to be an exercise in futility, and I suspect it might be the same for you. So so here's what I would like to do. Give me your top three Bond movies, and then give me your least favorite. Okay. Um, how should we do this? Like top three, top five. I think if you can't do a top three, let's do a top five. But I I think three is the right number. Okay. Okay. Um, I think I can do a top three. So in no particular order, my favorite Bond movies are probably going to be Goldeneye, The Man with the Golden Gun, Thunderball. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Um, and Thunderball is hard. I might switch out Thunderball for Daniel Craig, uh, Casino Royale. Um, cause that movie is excellent. Yes. Absolutely excellent. So I might say, I might say Thunderball Casino Royale is my honorable mention. Okay. Uh, least favorite is, and, and I'm going to be honest, I have not seen all 26 movies. Sure. Uh, I've only seen the first two of the Craig movies. I have not seen the other two. Oh, um, interesting. So wait, you you yeah, haven't I've seen only, Skyfall? I have not seen Skyfall, no. I know. I know everything that happens in it, but 
I have seen I have seen all of the Conneries. I've seen all of the Moors. I've seen. Well, I, hang on. Have I seen all of the Moors? There's seven. Might not there's seven Moors. Yeah. Yeah. I think there might be one more that I haven't seen. Um, I've I've seen one of the two Daltons. I did not love Dalton. Um, I've seen all of the and and I've seen all of the Brosnans, but. I will probably say my least favorite that I have seen, honestly, is probably on Her Majesty's Secret Service. I really don't like that movie very much. I respect your opinion. And that's all I want to say. I I I I very much appreciate Honor Majesty's Secret Service. I think it's it's such a fun premise. I think Lazenby is a perfectly serviceable Bond. Uh, that's the first uh, appearance of Strafo Blofeld. I, I've got a lot of time for that movie, but I, I appreciate that it is not your favorite by any means. Eh, I just don't love Lazenby. Fair. Okay, what's yours? Okay. Uh... Again, in in no particular order, because I think it could change. There, there's actually some parallels. I, I think my top three favorite Bond movies are From Russia with Love. That is absolutely my favorite Connery. I think that is the perfect Cold War Bond movie. Goldeneye, because just, just oh my God. The Game, The Mystique. Brosnan it's so 90s I said before I watched it like three months ago it it is such an a relic of its time and yet it still works on so many different levels it it works as a comedy cheesy holy shit this is stupid quip movie the opening 10 minutes of GoldenEye are just perfect um and then to round it out, I would say uh, my other favorite Bond movie is actually Skyfall. Hmm. Skyfall does the you're too old to be doing this Bond thing so well. Javier Bardem is this phenomenal, like he's a mix of Scaramanga and Alec Trevelyan kind of character. He's, he's totally great. That's the movie that is like about saying goodbye to Judy Dench. And I, I deeply love that. And my honorable mention is going to be if they had the balls to put Casino Royale and quantum of solace together into one four and a half hour long movie it would be the best James Bond movie ever. Interesting. Because quantum is so flawed in that it only works as the direct immediate sequel to Casino Royale and Casino Royale is so brilliant and starts out so phenomenally. And then the ending kind of peters off because they were anticipating a direct tie in into quantum of solace. So if you just watch them back to back, Mwah, brilliant perfection but each on their own i feel like falls just short of being in a top three for me okay now that said uh my least favorite um bond movie is specter the most recent mm. one the daniel craig starring 2015 specter i have never been more betrayed by a film franchise on like a personal level 
they they retcon shit that doesn't need to be retconned. Um, Daniel Craig clearly didn't want to be there anymore. Like they managed to make Christoph Waltz's Blofeld uninteresting to me. Um, they they do this really stupid thing where like so Casino Royale and Quantum they work together. Skyfall works separately on its own and they try to do the thing because it's specter of being like, ah, ha ha. Everything was actually like planned from the beginning. Even the stuff in Skyfall, which is completely unrelated to anything in casino or quantum, but Oh no, it's actually totally like fitting in together. See? And it, it doesn't work on numerous different levels. Like, the the first five minutes of that shot are him uh, at a Day of the Dead parade, and that's actually a really great like five minutes. And then the movie just takes a complete nosedive from there. I fucking hate Spectre. Okay, I'm gonna watch it at some point, but uh, that'll be at some point. Indeed. <laughs> Oh, all right. Well, I didn't really get to break this down as much as I wanted, but I I wanted to at least say um, the last two Mission Impossibles have maybe been better James Bond movies than any of the Craig movies except for Skyfall. Again, in my personal opinion, um, Rogue Nation and Fallout are both brilliant movies. spy movies to the point where I'm willing to forgive Tom Cruise's Scientology. And that's a lot. <laughs> so, wow. so I, I, and, and I'm pretty sure you haven't seen them, right? No, no. I okay. I'm going to make you watch these at some point. Um, and anybody on Twitter, feel free to come at me and have a discussion and fight me. Uh, the last two mission impossible movies are objectively phenomenal. And I just wanted to add that in. Cause I don't know when else I'm going to say it. Okay. I'm down for it. I don't know if I need to have seen anything. Pa- I saw one through three. And I felt like that was all the Mission Impossible I ever needed to see in my life. And, and surprisingly, you don't need to see four, like, at all. Like, you can just start with five, and five leads into six um, really well. And they are absolutely great and delightful. Okay. So... Well- on that note, should we wrap up? I think it's only appropriate. We're about at that time. Um, thank you, everybody, for going on this uh, deep dive into James Bond with us. I think there are a few literary literary movie characters that like have the same level of mystique to them, to me at least. Um, I own every Bond movie. I don't like watch them religiously, but I will often just like dive back and, and watch a couple of my favorite ones and just inhabit the universe again. I deeply love the character flaws and all. Um, and I so endlessly appreciate you, Alex, for uh, also loving the character and giving me this conversation. Yeah, no, I'm here for it. Like I, I grew up on these movies. Sure. Like I know that, the 25 days of bond like christmas thing that i think it was it was either usa or spike tv would do i used to just watch these james bond movie marathons with my dad um one of my best friends when i was like young young um 
he was a huge James Bond fan and had all of the movies. And I used to just sit in. My sister used to babysit us um, together. And we would just sit and watch James Bond movies for like whole afternoons. Like this character is deeply embedded in my childhood. And like, I'm not shitting you, Andy. I have had hours long arguments with like my dad and my sister about who the best Bond is. Like, yeah, it is a thing. It is a part of my childhood. So I thank you. This was your idea. I want to thank you for giving me an opportunity to just talk about James Bond for an hour and a half. You are so welcome, man. I, I doubt it's going to be the last time we do. Um, so with that said, normally uh, we take your perfectly uh, we take your perfectly valid relationship questions and offer <laughs> our perfectly unqualified advice. Uh, you can send those questions into love hate relationship podcast at gmail.com and we promise we'll read them or we will just turn to our friends at relationships.txt and see what the insanity of the internet can provide us absolutely uh all of you out there you can subscribe to us on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, stitcher spotify youtube or even tune in radio hey mom um you know what shout outs to roger moore your favorite bond and one that i have a lot of affection for um you can also uh Tweet your questions to us at LHRPod, that's L-H-R-P-O-D, or you can follow us there to keep up with new episodes. That's right. You know, we uh, we talk extensively about movies on this episode, and I usually talk extensively about movies on my movie podcast, Cult Fiction, that I do with the incomparable Stephanie Johnson, and you can find that everywhere Alex just said you could find this show. You can also find me, Andy Bowell, on Twitter and TikTok uh, at Jovocop2113 or at Aribo13, respectively. Aribo. I'm pretty sure that's Damn. my TikTok handle. <laughs> I thought it was like Andy.Bowell13 or something. Well, now I need to, now yeah, I need I to check. Yeah, no, I put mine across, mine the same handle all the way across. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or TikTok at A underscore X underscore R-U-I-Z. Thank you for listening, y'all. Um, go watch some James Bond movies and uh, please tell your friends.